2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll have the text up on the screen in a little bit. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, I'd love to in, help fix that for you. Uh, we value God's Word here. We believe that it has the ability to convict of sin, that God uses it to draw people to repentance. We believe that it's effectual, meaning that it, it accomplishes exactly what God intends for it to accomplish. Uh, we believe it's the primary means by which God reveals himself to a world that is broken and fallen. And so hear the pastor say, if you read your Bible, stuff will happen. And so it's advantageous for us to put one in your hands. And so if you don't have access to a Bible outside of this place, we can do something about that. And so uh, we got a big case of them in the office. And so uh, come see me after class and we can get started on that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, we're walking through a series called On the Same Page. The premise is pretty simple. Uh, we are uh, defining, unpacking major vocabulary words in the life of the church. Words that ought to carry a lot of weight and significance. Words like gospel and baptism. Uh, words like uh, worship, uh, scripture. Did I whistle when I said that? Scripture. All right. This morning, or last week, we talked about the word worldview. What we said was that People who are followers of Jesus have reckoned the world in a way that is different from everybody else. They have decided, determined, categorized things in such a way where Jesus and his beauty and getting more of him are the thing that they chase after over and above everything else. All right? We said worldview, a Christian worldview, was seeing through the lens of, I would rather have Jesus than this thing. I would rather draw near to him, and he is more valuable to me than anything he might cause, call me to let go of. All right? and so that's, that's what a worldview is. And so this morning we're going to look at a new word. It's the word mission. So the question we're going to answer is, what is the mission of the church? And then individually, what is the mission of the church? of individual Christians, right? You know what a meme is? Some of you do. I had to explain it to Roger this morning. Um, there's a cultural divide in this room, and sometimes it rears its head a little bit, and it rears its head the most when you start talking about cultural things on the internet. All right? You see that divide of, of generations that one has every, under, every bit the understanding of what's going on, the other has no clue, and it's okay that they don't know because you can get lost in this world so easily. All right? But a meme, an internet meme, all right, is basically something pulled from pop culture in an attempt to make fun of something else. All right, so uh, like a, a usually picture-based, but sometimes video or audio-based, uh, pulled from like a movie or a TV show, like one frame of something that carries a lot of weight, and like everybody who's seen that movie understands what's going on in that, and usually there's some words printed on the picture, and it's almost always in an attempt to mock something else. And so there's all different types of memes, uh, but one of them is called, You Only Had One Job to Do. You only had one job to do. I've got a few of them up here. Anybody see a problem with that? If you, if you opened up the brand new TV, and that's the remote that came out, what do you do? Make the L. <laughs> Left. <laughs> 
Yeah, so there's a problem. All right, let's hit the next one. But officer, it didn't actually say stop. All right, what else? Crack-resistant cement. All right, what else? Now, you're definitely missing the chocolate on the ice cream, but a chocolate-dipped cone is kind of awesome, right? All right, what else? (laughs) Put a little salt on it, it's the same thing. All right, what else? Those are peaches, if you can't see from there. Petite diced tomatoes. Yeah, that looks like a case of botulism right there. All right, what else? (laughs) Do you realize how much effort had to go into that one? Thirst. All right, what else? The baby section at the drugstore. I love the tagline, all the best for your baby. (laughs) All right. This one is going to make Jody cringe. Those of you who have no ADD cells in your body, you might need the explanation. That red square doesn't belong there. All right, what else? This is my favorite. Gave the bakery a photo of the USB drive on the USB drive to put on the cake. This is the cake they made. There you go. Is that the last one? Is there another one? All right. So the you had one job to do meme, it, it can be funny, right? There's lots of examples in our culture of people phoning in their one job. We can laugh for days and days and days. It, there's literally a website, you had one job to do.com. All right. So if you do the internet thing and if you have wasted time that you want to kill, uh, hit that up. Uh, there's lots of examples of... Uh, people phoning in their one job, and some of them are funny, but then there's also ones that are less funny, right? People who had a very important one job to do, and because of laziness or a failure to understand the weightiness behind it, they phoned it in. We've all kind of walked in a world like that, right? Yeah, maybe you're guilty of that sometimes. I think I've been. I think I've failed to do the one thing I was responsible for. And so the question we want to answer today is, what's the church's one job to do? When I say mission, I want you to be thinking new purpose. New purpose. 2 Corinthians 5. The letter to 2 Corinthians is um, a letter by the Apostle Paul to Christians in the city of Corinth, which is in Greece. All right, Uh, It's... At least the second, but we think maybe the fourth letter that Paul wrote to these people. Uh, Somewhere along the way, uh, we think that letters one and three got lost, and so the letters that we call one and two are actually three or two and four. Does that make sense? Probably not. All right, here's the thing Uh, we have copies of two letters that Paul wrote to a church that he loved dearly, but he says things in both of those letters which lead you to believe that he wrote other letters. All right, and so we think we have copies two and four. But we call them one and two, right? 
Everybody's on the same page? Good. All right. So in the second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul is addressing an issue that they had in the church. In 1 Corinthians, the letter that we call 1 Corinthians, he calls out some major sin in the camp. All right? There's a guy who's walking in absolutely heinous sin. He tells him to kick that guy out of there uh, because it's a problem. And so somewhere between that letter and the letter that we call 2 Corinthians, Repentance has happened and reconciliation is, it needs to take place. And so he's welcoming the guy back into the church. Right? And so after he has called them to reconcile, to bring things back together, he begins to unpack for them again what they've been called to do. Sound appropriate for this morning? I think so. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's look at verse, well, let's start with 16. The Apostle Paul says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So, right before Paul says this, he unpacks for them that God has promised us these incredibly eternal realities. And a couple of those eternal realities is that we have a heavenly home to come that is not stained by sin anymore, that's not broken and marked by death, and all the things in, in this world are very obviously broken. All right? He says, in that world we will also have renewed bodies that are also not stained by sin and not broken like all that we experience in this world. Anybody have to shovel snow this weekend? Anybody else aching a little bit like I am this morning? Do you long for a day when those aches and pains will be forever no more? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the young guy in the room. Some of you older people are looking at me like, boy, you don't even know. <laughs> yeah, we all kind of sense that there's something wrong with this world and we long desperately for a time to come when that won't be the case anymore and paul says listen you've been promised exactly that and so he says therefore we knowing the fear of the lord we persuade other i'm in the wrong verse verse 16 from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer verse 17 therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled, that means to bring back together, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so Paul says that even though our sin separates us from God, from a holy, just, perfect, righteous God, Jesus, God himself, puts on flesh, dwells among us, lives the sinless life that I can't live and neither can you, dies a sacrificial death on the cross that I should have died, and because of that death on the cross, brings us back together with God, reconciles is the word that he uses, reunites us with a holy God because his holiness stands in the gap on my part. Big thought. But that's not the biggest doozy in what we just read. What did verse 18 say? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and what's those two words? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the task of reconciling a broken world back to God is in whose lap? It's in our lap. The Greek word for the, the word that we translate as gave us 
carries the idea of privilege. You ever have to delegate a job you didn't like? Have to. (laughs) You ever really quickly delegated a job you didn't like? Every parent in this room has done that. How many of you had sons and daughters shovel yesterday? Yeah, every one of us has been in a position where we delegated the thing that we didn't want to handle, and so we passed it off to the one coming behind us, but that is not at all the tone of what's going on here, is it? We're talking about privilege. Paul says that that God privileged us, gave us, bestowed upon us the ministry of reconciliation. Another way we can put this is that we get to go to work with daddy. One of my two-year-old's favorite things right now is to go down into the basement. You may not know this, but we don't let him hang out in the basement on his own. Crazy, I know, we're terrible parents. We don't let him go into the basement. If the door to the basement is open and he gets close to it, he gets a pretty sharp reprimand in that moment. Ah! Because the basement's got some stuff down in there that's not so good for him. But you know what the greatest joy in his life is? If I scoop him up and start walking down those creaky stairs and take him with me into the basement. You know what's down there? The washing machine. <laughs> a stand-up freezer. All right? That's what we have down in the basement. A bunch of junk that we didn't want in the house. That's what's in the basement. There's nothing in the basement that's special. The only things that are in the basement cause you to have to work. Right? And so my son, Will, the two-year-old, has nothing of that should produce joy in the basement. But he lights up with the biggest eyes if you scoop him up and start walking down those creaky stairs. Why? Because he gets to go with daddy. Right? The God of the universe has invited you and I to play a part in something that has far more reaching consequences than a dumb trip down into the basement. Am I right? God himself says, hey, come along. Come on, let's go. Come, come with me on this venture of reconciling every molecule in existence back to me. The greatest action-adventure drama the universe will ever know. God says, hey, come hang out. Why don't you come with me on this one? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 9, or 19, excuse me. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and what's that word? Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here Paul uses the word entrust. You don't entrust things that don't matter. Right? Anybody entrusting major errands to people? You don't use entrust about the mediocre, mundane tasks of life. No, you entrust something that's valuable, that has importance, that that matters if it's done right. Correctly? Correctly? You entrust things that has a little bit of of give and take. And if it doesn't go well, there's an issue, right? 
to entrust something means that you value it and you're handing it off hoping that it's in good hands. Does God have to hope? God doesn't have to hope. We get to go to work with Daddy. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you, beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who speaks for and does the business of a country far away from that country, right? On behalf of that country. So much so that if they don't speak and do what the country actually wants, they're bad ambassadors, right? Paul calls us an ambassador for Christ. The one job of the church is to be ambassadors for Jesus, imploring people who don't know him to be reconciled to him. It's our one job. Are there other things that the church does? Sure, but they flow out of that one purpose. When I say mission, I want you to be thinking new purpose. This is the driving thing behind everything we do here. Everything. That's why the programs that we have are either designed to introduce people to Jesus or to equip and train those who do know him to take the gospel outside of these walls to other people who don't. That's everything we do here. We've got a mission statement, right? Knowing God, loving others, serving in the world. That's just a way of fleshing out the one job, isn't it? And so we dive in deep to Bible study so that you see a picture of who he really is. We get you in community with others who are chasing after knowing him so that you can spur one another on and then we release you to go do amazing things for the kingdom of God. Knowing God, loving one another, serving in the world. That's why we spend Sundays every once in a while defining a gospel that many of you already know well. If we get that one wrong, we're meme-worthy. We had one job to do. One more text. Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. For those of you who are new to the Bible, uh, it's it'll be to your left. It's in one of the Gospels, which is a collection of about four letters that we have written about Jesus' three-year public ministry. It's at the tail end of Matthew's Gospel account. So if you find Mark, just look to your left. It's at the tail end of Matthew's Gospel account. Uh, By the time that this is playing out, Jesus has gone to the cross died, been buried, been raised, and he's appeared to the disciples and a couple hundred other people at various times uh, over the course of a month or so, all right? And so in Matthew 28, we get to 
the last thing that Jesus is going to tell his disciples, the guys that have been following him and doing what he's been commanding them to do, right before he ascends into heaven. Now, we talked about the one last thing to say before I go conversation in here before, right? It's this idea that, that you're going to make this conversation count because you've got one last shot, one last attempt to speak truth and to sway thought and to, to try to convince somebody to uh, do or live in a certain way and you want to make those words count so you don't waste that moment. All right? And so Jesus uses his one last thing to say before I go speech here. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus claims to have all authority on heaven and on earth. And either A, he's being truthful in that moment, or B, he's not. Right? Either A, Jesus is absolutely correct in the statement that he has all authority over heaven and earth or b he's a liar and a megalomaniac kind of crazy person who should probably be probably be committed right for me to stand up on the stage and say i have all authority in heaven on earth and on earth follow me how's that play out for me is it gonna go well i really hope it doesn't go well I don't know, we got some people in our world that could probably pull that off. I don't have the charisma. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And if that statement is true, and I think he's true when he says that. If that statement is true, is there anything standing in his way? Is there anybody with a competing authority that can, that can say, I disagree and I'm going to stop you? No. No one can say to Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Look at verse 19. What does Jesus command us to do with all that authority on heaven and earth? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says that our one job is to go everywhere else and make other followers of Jesus. That's as simple as I can make it. Our one job is to go everywhere else and make other followers of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's a follower, right? He says to go to all nations. The Greek word for nations is ethne. It's where we get our English word ethnicities from. It means peoples, people groups, not, not political borders, groups of people. That video that we watched at the beginning of the service, sometimes peoples come to you. We got some peoples in Nashua, right? We literally have two other churches meeting in this building that speak different languages than us. That's a glory of God and his gospel. It is. It's a, it's a fulfillment, or at least a partial fulfillment, of what Jesus commands in Matthew 28, right? And so for all the ethne, for all the peoples that are here, we make disciples of all them. 
there are also a lot of ethnes that aren't here. So we go find them. With joy in our heart, we take this gospel message to them. Well, which comes first? It doesn't matter. It doesn't. You go both. Here and there. At the same time. Some people are... Some people have a capacity of being able to hop on an airplane and go to other cultures, and that, that makes it pretty easy. Some people, that's a little bit of a struggle for them. Doesn't mean you should go, but maybe you're better off here, reaching the ethne here. We do both. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, You are the product of the disciples being obedient to this command. Are you not? Or, or do you think this is a hillside in Galilee in the first century? That command to go to all ethne a couple thousand years ago and not the United States of America. The gospel made its way this far. And if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you are the, the descendant of obedience to that command, right? I'm standing here today as a follower of Jesus because the disciples took the command of Jesus seriously and walked in obedience to what he told them to do. Which means it's now my turn to turn around and walk in obedience too. Right? The command to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything he taught them to observe, flows now through me. I stand on the shoulders of people who walked in obedience. And hopefully there's coming a day when people will stand on mine. Right? So much so that to fail at our one job would be a tragedy and I feel it would be kind of awkward to put it as an internet meme. Like we talked about how some are funny and some are not so funny. The church's one job to do, not so funny. If we fail at this one job, oh, help us. Oh, help us. When I say missions, I want you to be thinking new purpose. Well, what about all the other stuff I got on my plate? And it's here that we get to discuss why we necessarily had to talk about worldview last week before we got to talk about mission this week. They play into each other. Do you have other stuff going on? Yeah. But we said last week that the follower of Jesus has, has decided that Jesus is more valuable than everything else. And if there are decisions to be made where you get more of Jesus or less of Jesus, guess which one we're leaning towards? Those who see God as a because I said so God see him incorrectly. What was the last thing we read in Matthew 28? Can we get that text up on the screen again? Keep going. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you 
always. Walking in obedience to Jesus gets you more of Jesus. The system that the God of the universe decided to set up for us is that as we walk in obedience to what he's told us to do, he gives us more and more and more of himself. And so if you're sitting here today, Christian, and saying, I want more of Jesus in my life, guess what? Start doing what he's told you to do and watch what happens. It's what he's handed us. Walk in obedience to these things, make disciples of all nations, and behold, I am with you always. If you want more Jesus, start doing what he says and watch what he does with it. Watch what he does with it. How are you using the short-term realities and your long-term dreams to make other followers of Jesus? Do the people you spend the most time with have access to the gospel because of your presence there? Are you thinking in terms in your circles of influence, whether that's the school or the workplace or the, the social group or the hobby that you're involved in, whatever it is, your circles of influence that God has seen fit to give you, are you walking into those environments with the idea that you have one job to do and that it's kind of important that we do it? Or have you like, me sometimes compartmentalize things into church life and everything else life. We have, we have one job to do. And either we're walking in obedience to that or we're not. Are you here this morning? And do you feel the weightiness that the gospel goes forward because God has privileged you to lay it in your lap. In a second, I'm going to pray. and We're going to sing. It'll be your chance, Christian, to make up your mind on whether or not you're going to be obedient to your one job as an ambassador of Christ, imploring others to the cross, to be reconciled to God. But go deeper than just vague answers. Answer real questions of who and where and when and how. Don't let yourself off the hook with vague, vague stuff. You can see who in the front of your mind right now. You know who. The question is when and how and where. Get on it. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And Christian, you, you ask God to give you opportunity and to help you walk in obedience to those opportunities to take the gospel the next step forward. You're standing on the shoulders of those who walked in obedience before you. How will you carry the mantle? Maybe you're here today, though, and you don't know this Jesus that we're talking about. It's hard to make other followers of Jesus if you're not one yourself. If that's you today, is God calling you to take that step of following him? Maybe he is. Again, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, and be your chance to begin to follow him, if that's you. If you're here this morning, and you want to, for the very first time, say, Jesus, I'm in. 
I'm ready to go where you go and whom you love, I'll love. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. If that's you this morning, you want somebody to talk to, I'll be standing down here. Let's pray. Father God, you are good to us. You love us. You privilege us. God, in all things, you are reconciling back to yourself. You have graciously, lovingly, with the heart of a daddy, invited us along. May we stand on the shoulders of those who were obedient before us. May we carry the torch well. God, every one of us in this room knows, lives with, walks with, spends life with those who are far from you. You've promised eternal realities for those who are yours. And we all, myself included, know those who will miss out on that. Would you help us this morning feel the weightiness of this call? These are life and death issues that we're talking about here. God, would you help us respond well? For those who don't know you, would you draw them to yourself this morning? Would you show them who you are? I'm convinced that when we see you for who you are, we will be forever changed by it. You're too lovely to be ignored. So God, as we sing, as we pray, as we ask difficult questions of our heart, would you give us the courage to do what you're calling us to do? So in your name we pray. Amen.